In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Thank you. Beloved in Christ, we continue on our Sundays of preparation for Great and Holy Lent. We're not into that blessed hymn book of repentance, the Lenten Triodion, yet. Next week, we enter into what we might call the, the antechamber or narthex of Great Lent. Right now, we're standing on the porch. If the, if the, the nave of the church is the season of Great Lent, we're out on the porch. And next week, we come into the narthex and we start smelling the smells, the savor of what is to come during the season of repentance. And remember, it's a great mercy for the church to give us reminders because I think the fathers of the church were, are just excellent psychotherapists. They know how the mind works. We need a reminder. And then we need to be reminded that we have a reminder. Sometimes I, I make a checklist and I think, I need to make a checklist to remind me to check my checklist. Well, this is the checklist reminding us to check our checklist as we're preparing for the season of Great Lent so that we don't act surprised by, by it. And I know from my personal experience too, if, I'm not, if, I, if I don't take the time to prepare myself mentally, as St. John Climacus says, if a, if a wrestler is slack at the beginning, he has a, a hard time through the entirety of the battle. But if he's strong at the beginning, then as he starts to flag, as he weakens, he can remember his original zeal and it enlivens him, it strengthens him. And so now we're at the time where we're given, given that opportunity to prepare so that when Great Lent comes, because it will, I believe it will, when it comes, we want to be ready and not have an excuse like, oh, I, I'm not in the right headspace. What happened? No. Get in the right headspace. That's what we're doing right now. We're preparing our hearts and our minds. We're in the, on the porch in preparation for the season of great and holy Lent. And I thank God for that. I look forward to this uh, coming Lenten season, but it'll come at the right time. That is an interesting phenomenon, you know, during this beautiful season that we're looking forward to, full of services and repentance and fasting and rigor. And then we celebrate great and holy Pascha, which is the best. Pascha is the best. But you know what? We understand the bestness of Pascha because we also understand that, that the depth of humility and repentance that we need in order to rightly celebrate. And so sometimes after Pascha, I hear people say, I kind of, Father, I don't want to sound weird, but I kind of miss Great Lent. I don't know how our choir feels about that. Maybe after Holy Week. I don't miss Great Lent yet. Give me a couple weeks. But we eagerly anticipate it. We do. Last week we heard about Zacchaeus' repentance. And this week we hear the story of the Canaanite woman who gives us an incredible example of humility. During the Orthros this morning, so I, I wore my red vestments, even though we're in a gold season, because it's a feast of St. Ignatius of Antioch, who was a martyr. And I like to think about how we 
take the tragedies of this world and just flip them over. Christ takes what would be a tragedy, what would lay claim on our lives, and he says, you have no authority over me, and actually thank you. During the Synaxarian reading for Orthros, the reader, on behalf of all of us, thanked the lions to whom St. Ignatius was fed for giving us the blessed relics of St. Ignatius. I almost started crying. Excuse me. Because even the lions, even put, put up to the devil's work, are only really serving the ultimate purpose of God's will. So I was thinking about calling this homily, thank the lions, no ifs, ands, or buts. Because it takes an incredible amount of humility. And I think that the Canaanite woman gives us an example of this kind of humility as well. And that's what I'd like to talk about today. What do you do when you're humiliated? You heard in today's gospel reading a woman who, whose daughter was in a bind. She said, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely possessed by a demon. I need your help. Please intercede. Please intervene. My daughter is possessed by a demon. And at first he seemingly ignored her. And then the disciples said, she's annoying us, send her away. And then she doubled down. Please, please, please help. And he said, well, how can I give to the dogs what is meant for the people? And she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And he said, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And one amazing thing I see in this woman's desire is that it wasn't just a selfish desire. Something incredibly profound is happening in this, no many things. <laughs> but something very, very special happens. She says, have mercy on me have mercy on me. My daughter is severely possessed by a demon. And it reminded me of a special teaching by St. Porphyrios, who says, when you pray for others, first pray for yourself. And I want to explain to you what that means a little bit. And I want to challenge you to practice this this week among a couple other little reminders. But he says, pray for others more than you pray for yourself. But then he says, say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. What? Pray for others more than you pray for yourself. But say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And then he explains. And you will always have others in your mind. We are all children of the same Father. We are all one. And so, when you pray for others, 
Say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and have not have mercy on them. And in this way, we make them one with ourselves. There have been times I know from experience that we've, out of frustration, we've passively, aggressively prayed for other people. God, fix them so that they don't annoy me anymore. If I didn't have to deal with this problem, you know, we treat other people like problems. Send them away or fix them. And St. Porphyrios and the Canaanite woman are teaching us first. See, we don't approach the problems of this world as if something to just send away or to be fixed for my own sake. But we say, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. You get upset when others are unwell, St. Porphyrios continues. Whereas what you should do is devote yourself to prayer so that what is desired comes about through the grace of God. With your own wisdom, so to speak, with your own wisdom, you tell others what should be done. When that is not necessarily the best thing, the secret is to be found elsewhere. Not in what we say or suggest to others, the secret lies in our devotion. Our prayer to God for what is best for our brethren to come about through the grace of God. That is the best. What we are unable to do will be done through His grace. So you pray, have mercy on me, calling someone else to mind. So try that. It's an interesting thing that happens with the mind. You've probably had it happen where you're praying, but you're not praying. You're saying the words, but you're not assure, uh, aware of what you're speaking. You're thinking about lunch or something like that, or what's coming up later in the day, the, the meeting that you are not so prepared for. Well, what you can do is co-opt the mind. Yes, you can. The wayward mind. You can be speaking the words, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And you can be thinking about the person for whom you are praying. I'm thinking about my wife and my children right now and how our lives are interwoven with one another. Our lives are bound up with one another. I'm saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And I'm thinking of them because I can't, I can't even conceive of my own life as apart from them. That's how intimately bound we are, and that's how in, intimately closely bound our salvation is. And it's hard to pray condescendingly with passive aggression when you're primarily saying, have mercy on me, and by extension, then those in my life, whom I love then. Do I really love this person? If you're saying, have mercy on me, you're saying, change me first so that I can really love others and desire your will to be done in their life. And that's a beautiful thing. And I would encourage you to take this teaching given to us by St. Porphyrios and the Canaanite woman. Now, something striking happens in today's gospel reading that's hard for us to hear because, because we're not humble. We're given an incredible example of humility. So what do you do when you're humiliated? What if you went up and asked for help and the master said, 
ignored you. And the disciples tried to send you away. You would, like me, probably walk away and tell your friends about it for the next three years. What a jerk he is, how I'm traumatized by his lack of sensitivity to me. And, you know, and this is why I hate religion. And they're, they, they're all a failure and hypocrites. Da, da, da. But see, she took the onus on herself to draw near to the Savior. And she had faith that he was, that he is the God-man. And Christ, of course, by his knowledge, understood what was going to happen. And the commentators on this passage will say he was not only revealing to her what faith she was capable of, but also revealing to, to the disciples what great humility can be found in unexpected places. If you suspend your judgment, you don't try to send your problems away. And through her humility, the fulfillment of her desire, of her selfless desire was granted. And that's very beautiful. And oftentimes when we're seeking God's will and we're beseeching Him, it's okay to ask for a particular outcome, but something else happens too. As you go deeper into your desire to do God's will, then even your desire for a particular outcome becomes suspended. I have full faith in this woman that even if the Lord had said, no, not, not today. Now's not the time. She would have walked away and still glorified God, trusting in His providence. Knowing that through the suffering that she's given, out of love for her daughter comes her salvation. But of course she wanted what was best for her daughter who was suffering deeply. And I think only mothers can really understand what suffering that this mother was experiencing. But through great humility, the power of God was made manifest. Why is humility so important? Christ is humble. God is humble. St. Isaac the Syrian says, humility is the raiment of the Godhead. Humility is the garment like my felonium, my cape you know, that surrounds me. This is like God's humility encompassing. He's encompassed with it. So humble that he became what he was not. He became man so that we could become what he is. So, in response... We have to become what we are not. We have to become humble so that we can become what He is. And then humility has the power of destroying the enemy. Humility removes from us any sense of achievement by merit. Any perception that I have attained or earned the grace of God by my own effort. Humility destroys our false self-perception. And the saints say that humility makes man the dwelling place of God. And so we have to cultivate it. We have to work on it. I was reading the Pro out of Proverbs this week. And... See, where's the little verse? I read it to someone else this week too. He who tends to a fig tree will eat its fruit. 
I love the Proverbs. They're so beautiful. There's about one for every day. You know, if you've, you could read one every day of the month. And on the 27th, Proverbs 27, he who tends to a fig tree will eat its fruit. And if we are tending to the fig tree of holiness, then only then will we eat of the fruit of holiness. But how do we cultivate humility? A few ideas for you to work on this week and for me. To cultivate humility, um, willfully accept correction and even rebuke. Willfully accept correction. So when someone is correcting you, even if you don't like what they're having to say, and especially when you don't like what they're saying, receive it. Take it to heart. Don't judge them on the basis of where you think that they're coming from, but hear what they're saying and try to understand why they're saying it. Willfully accept correction. And the main experiment I want you to make this week is from today through next Sunday. You got it? Listen. Don't defend yourself. Don't defend yourself. That's where the no ifs, ands, or buts comes in. Well, I didn't. Or as my wife likes to remind me, don't, don't say the word but, honey. I'm sorry that I... I can see it in her eyes. She doesn't even have to say it anymore. Don't say but. Okay. But do not defend yourself in any way. Make this experiment over the course of the coming week. Speak less and listen more. You're not defending. If you're not defending yourself, I will tell you, most of us, if we're not standing in a position of defense, then we are going to speak a lot less. Because I think a huge portion of what we have to say is about ourselves. Justifying ourselves, standing our own ground. Speak less and listen more, especially when you want to speak, but you know you don't really need to. So that I'm giving you a little deeper exhortation here. Like, we have the ability, but we have to try. We have to work on it. Speak less, especially when you want to, but you don't really need to. And put your ego to the test by letting others take the credit. Especially those who are in group work environments. They couldn't have done it without me. Good, let them celebrate their success. Celebrate the success of another person. And you can even come to experience what a joy it is to see others succeed. True joy is born. True joy is born from quiet, humble acts of love. And we see this example in the Canaanite woman. She wasn't coming to go tell her friends how she laid down at the feet of the Savior. And I look, listen what I did. I, I didn't go away when they told me those disciples are mean and misunderstanding me. And I finally broke through. She was just rejoicing that her daughter was healed. And we need to follow her example. So pray this week. Pray like the Canaanite woman who said, 
Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, saying a primitive and early form of the Jesus prayer. And we say, Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, calling to mind those for whom you would like to pray. Picture them in your mind. It'll be hard to be distracted by other things. Cultivate the prayer of the heart. And understand how interwoven, necessarily interwoven our lives are because we were created for one another. And work on humility. Do not defend yourself. Do not speak unnecessarily. May God bless us and guide us as he's leading us into this beautiful season of great Lent. He cannot enter into a cup that's already full. And so we're getting opportunities now to to begin to empty out what is filling us so that during the beautiful season of Great Lent, as we prepare to celebrate the wonder of the Holy Resurrection, which I always ask the Lord, will you just grant us a little more time, a little more time so that we can celebrate one more Pascha together. And with that, I guess I'm asking that he'd grant us the beautiful opportunity to take the journey of great Lent together as well. May he make us worthy of such a humility and repentance that we may deeply, wonderfully, beautifully together celebrate his holy resurrection. Amen.